He is a wonder of the world. From America, he has got a phenomenal teaching gift. And I love it. The kingdom of God is built on relationships. And this is Stuart's best mate, everybody. So we honour him for years of friendship. Been coming to the UK for over 30 years, or he might say even longer. But it's my privilege to welcome. Oh, we're going to check out our, our DVD that we're going to play over all locations. And then Jack Robleski is going to come and share the word. We're going to give him a big shout out. So as soon as this is finished, we're going to give Jack a great welcome. Let's play the DVD over all locations today. Thank you. Hello, everyone. In today's talk, we come near the cross. We, in many ways, find ourselves standing on holy ground. John's Gospel shows us how it is women that give us the closest picture of the cross. We also get an amazing insight into Mary, the mother of Jesus. Imagine the pain for a mother watching her son die in such a cruel way. We also see Jesus in great levels of pain thinking about Mary's future well-being. As we revisit the cross today, may we be filled with gratitude and amazement at all that God has done for us by sending his one and only son to save us. Let's have a good day together. Wow. Okay, I'm good here. Thanks for bringing up those lights. I always feel when I'm in Lincoln like I've come home. Uh, I think the first time I preached in Lincoln was probably when some of you weren't even a twinkle in your parents' eyes. Um, 1981, how's that? Uh, preached here. It was at Lincoln Free Church, which Stuart was pastoring. And... Uh, and uh, ever since then, I feel every time that I come here uh, that I've come home. Now, I know this technically is Highcombe, but Highcombe is a suburb of Lincoln. Am I right? And uh, so I just want to thank you. What a privilege to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, I want to thank uh, Pastors Dan and Joe for receiving me here this, after, or this evening, this morning. I'm, I'm jet lagged, so I don't know what day it is. <laughs> So we're at this beginning of this thing called Holy Week. Now, what's really interesting this year about Holy Week is we go through, you say Maundy Thursday, don't you? Yeah, we, we, don't, we, we say Holy Thursday. So we go through Holy Thursday and then Good Friday. We have our own services at home. I'll be jetting back there tomorrow to do that, to do that kind of stuff. What's really interesting this year as opposed to other years about Holy Week is that the Jewish Passover and uh, Good Friday are synchronous, the same day. So the same day that we're doing uh, our commemoration, our, our, our remembrance of, of the crucifixion, that same day, Jewish synagogues all over the world will be doing their Passover meals. And so the two align perfectly this year. And so, you know, like Christmas is December 25th, but we really don't know if that was the date. That, um, well, it wasn't probably the date that, that Christ was born. It doesn't make Christmas a bad thing. I love Christmas. But, but the point is, is this particular set of holidays actually aligns in time. Something that we're commemorating actually happened the days on which we're commemorating. That's pretty special, isn't it? So uh, we're, we're talking about events that actually happened, and especially this year, happened on the very days that we're, we're kind of celebrating them. Now, 
it wasn't until I arrived here in the UK that I understood that your theme, theme for Holy Week had to do with Easter through the eyes of the women who, who watched the Easter events. And, and I understand that I'm a man, but I am a man with a mother who lost sons. So I feel like the anointing is on me this morning. And uh, to be able to kind of recount and to bring some light to what was going on in the dynamics between Jesus and John and Mary at the cross. And I, I, I'm, yeah, I tend to be a jokester and light in the pulpit and and uh, I'm not saying I won't be that way, but today I, there's, a, there's a solemnity upon me. And I feel like that anointing is on me. And I feel like it's going to impact this congregation for next week and for what's going on next week. And so I, I'm going to bring some insight into the passion of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and others. I don't think others would see it as easily as I, because of my experiences. And I've titled this message, her double cross, if you want to put that up. And you'll understand why I've entitled it that in just a few minutes. I was given by the leaders uh, to preach on John's gospel account of the crucifixion of Jesus in John 19, verses, 20, or verses 16 through 27. And so my aim this, this, this morning is to, to work with two themes which are a part of that text uh, and I want to hold these two themes in tandem. Do you know, I'll know what tandem means. Uh, do you use that word here? Tandem is like when two horses pull together and, and the, the cart couldn't be pulled if the two horses weren't working. Well, there's two themes I want to work this morning. I've always found it really interesting that Jesus understood prophetically that he was going to his crucifixion, that he would take up his cross and become a sacrifice for us. Long before he was crucified and before his disciples accepted that he would be crucified, long before that, he insisted that to be a disciple of Jesus, we would have to take up, watch this, a cross ourselves. Now, uh, so from the mouth of Jesus, uh, there is this intrinsic connection between his cross and every one of our crosses. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, I believe, is the, the most dramatic example of this connection between the two crosses, which is the double cross. Uh, we, there's a word called nexus. I don't know if, if you use that word here, but it means that place where these two things intersect and find power. It's that kind of thing. So we're going to look at two scriptures. Both have to do with crucifixion, one uh, we're fairly familiar with, and it's mentioned four times by Jesus to his disciples, and that, of course, includes all of us. And the other scripture is only found in the one Gospel of John. But I want to begin with the first, and it's, I'm going to use, it's used in all four Gospels, which is unusual uh, for all four Gospels to carry almost verbatim the same account. It tells me it's important to the message of the gospel when all four gospels use it. I'm using Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and I don't think uh, uh, this scripture begs the context. It's just straightforward, and most of us who call ourselves Christians have heard it. And it's this, he's, it's, Jesus says, and he's, I'm sorry, Mark says, and he summoned the crowd with, his disciples. Anybody here a disciple of Christ? Huh? That's us. And, and, and he says this. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me or to follow after me, he or she must 
deny himself or herself, and take up his or her cross and follow me. He says, take up. Watch this. He doesn't say, find your cross. He doesn't say, discover your cross. He doesn't say, build your cross. He doesn't say, invent your cross. He says, take up your cross, implying that the cross is a precondition for discipleship. Huh? And this is pretty important. There are whole faith traditions that try to build crosses and try to, 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 uh, to make that a matter of formation. That's not what Jesus says. He says, for whoever, in verse 35, whoever wishes to save his or her life will lose it. But whoever loses his or her life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. One of the things that irks me about these translations and I'll tell you what, I'd love to get to, with somebody on one of the translation teams uh, to talk to them about this. Because the word for life there implies that we're talking about our biological life. Uh, the word, there's a word in Greek called, it's, it's zoos is the name of the word, from which we get the word zoo, zoological. And it has to do with biological life, life and death, losing your life and death. But the word here isn't zoos, it's psyche. It's soul. Everywhere else it's translated soul. And so Jesus is saying, whosoever would lose his or her soul for my sake will find it. Now soul has to do with our identity, our personality, our, our, our perception of who we are. And so Jesus says, in order to find out who you are in me as a disciple, you're going to have to lose your sense of yourself in some way through denial and then gain it and in gaining it, you become my disciples. That's pretty interesting. And so uh, Jesus says that coming after, uh, Jesus says if we want to come after him, and we, he requires that we follow him, he says following him in turn means that each of us take up his or her cross, our crosses, in some way. See, every one of us gets to own a cross. Huh? And now just about everyone in this room who's able to fog a mirror if I pass it under your noses, right, uh, is either going to face a cross, has faced a cross, will face a cross in life. Because it's the nature of life to encounter a tough time. Huh? And so one doesn't need to find a cross. Crosses happen. And, and, and it's, this is the deal. It's what we do to, with them when they happen that's really important. So if you put up the next slide, taking up your cross means that as we live through a crisis, Jesus joins us. Huh? That's pretty important. Yeah? Now, that's interesting. Um, I, love, I mean, we, our church is so much like yours. Uh, the name of the church is NC4. We're multi-site. And I feel like when I was here this morning, all the dynamics are very similar. It's like it's cool, it's awesome, it's all those kinds of things. I'm my age and I'm pastoring a church of 700 that, that, whose median age is 33. So you kind of catch the, the vibe, right? And so the vibe's so fairly much the same. But I, I'm very conscious that in charismatic circles or Pentecostal circles, preaching this message seems to cut across a lot of the ways that we celebrate. Are you there? You know, I don't think I would have to bring this message to an Eastern Orthodox Catholic or Lutheran church because this is part of their formation. It's not so much ours, you know, but it is Holy Week. 
And we are looking at a day, a physical day in which Christ was crucified, which is exactly pointing this year to the time in which he was crucified. So here's the deal, brothers and sisters. We don't look for crosses. They do find us. Yeah? Our job is to take them up. However, what we do with our crosses is the essence of moving forward in our Christian walk. Crosses in life are not optional. If I don't move my cross in life with the attitude of the Lord, with the help of the Lord, I, I don't grow into the life of the Lord. Yeah. A cross in life isn't merely something I adjust myself to. It needs to be encountered in kingdom power, in kingdom terms. In, uh, and, and this is, brings me to this pr principle right here. You move to the next. If I refuse to take up my cross, it will take me down. You there? Uh, see, look, cross has to do with suffering. And I wish I could tell you, you know, at my age, I, I've got four kids. I've got ten grandkids. My wife and I raised a bunch of other kids through, through our foster system and stuff like that. So, uh, and all this stuff, it has been a joy. I have... I love the kingdom of God. I love the church. I love celebrating. I love the healing power of the gospel. I love seeing people delivered of the demonic. I love all those things. But I would be a liar if I said that there wasn't some suffering involved now and then. Yeah, I would be a liar. Now, here's the deal. There is constructive suffering in life, and there's destructive suffering in life. Huh? And the difference is whether Jesus joins us or not. And we control whether Jesus joins us or not because he's always there to join us. Does this make sense to everyone? Yeah, it does. Okay. So I think here's a question. Why a cross? Did you ever think about that? Uh, uh, this doesn't seem like uh, uh, good news, this thing of a cross, but my cross is the, the, the crucible that forges my uh, integrity, my character, my dependence on Jesus. It's where I discover who I really am, yeah? And what I, what I can really do in Christ. Jesus pointedly did not say that we were to take up our crosses alone. He said, take up your cross, follow me. I am with you. I am precursing you. I am, I am there. You see, he said, follow me, be with me. You even have a model in me for this thing called a cross. So, uh, you, we, were never, we were never created to carry our crosses alone. Huh? Huh? Whatever your cross might be. Uh, you know, some of you may just be riding the gravy train this morning, and I praise God for that. Some of you might be dealing with a cross in your life. Yeah? Uh, right now, my, my wife is home, and her mom is on her deathbed. I just found that out yesterday. So I'm jetting home tomorrow to deal. She's got a cross to deal with, yeah? Now, mom's a strong believer. I mean, she, she's spunky, and she's, she's, uh, she's given to the kingdom of God. She's in her mid-90s. She's ready to go home. And so there's a certain joy to it, but death's still an enemy, you know, that Christ is, has, has, has uh, vanquished. All right, so there's a cross involved there. I remember, I want to say like... Uh, I don't know how many years it was now, maybe 15, between 15 and 20 years. I got a phone call. Trisha, my wife's a radiographer, and so she, and she specializes in MAMS. 
mammograms? You say that, yeah. And so, so she called. She had a mam, and it was suspicious. So she had a, a DEXA, and and she calls me one day. I'm sitting in the office, and she says to me, she says, uh, "Okay, my, my nickname is Grubby because my last name is Grubleski. It's not because I don't bathe enough." So, <laughs> I like. So like like she calls me one day, and she says, "You know what? The biopsies come back positive, which means she has breast cancer," and so. I was silent, and it's one of those phone calls, you know, you wish you're never going to get, you know, and uh, you believe you're never going to get. So I'm sitting there, and she, she, I'm silent at the end of the phone. I said, uh, so what are you thinking? You know, how are you doing? What are you thinking? She's calling me from work, and she said, well, here's what I think. I think it's now time for both of us to put on our big boy pants and begin to live out what we've been shooting off our mouths about for the last 20 years. That's what she said. You say big boy pants here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would, yeah, yeah. And we did. But here's the deal. You see, you don't do crosses alone. No sooner had I hung up the phone than this pro a prophet, some of you would know, he's been here in years past. His name is Denny Kramer. He walked in. He walks into my office. He was going to preach that weekend, but he walks in. And he could tell because of my countenance that something was wrong. He said, what's wrong? I said, well, Trisha was just diagnosed with a breast cancer. And, and he said, well, let's deal with this right now. Sat down, began to pray. And as he was praying, he says to me, this has a Masonic origin. That was what he said right across. And I was like, what? You know, because I said, Denny, I was raised Catholic. Catholics weren't allowed in the, in, the, in, in the Masonic, you know. And he said, well, I don't know. I was just, this is what it is. And you, you know how prophets are. They're so sure of themselves. It's, you want to punch them sometimes. Anyway, so, so like, so I said, I said, Denny, uh, you know, there's no, th there is no uh, uh, Masonic in, in our family that I'm aware of. Trish has never mentioned anything. And so it's interesting. We began to pray, began to bind that. And later on, uh, about, you know, uh, two or three days later, Trish said, I don't know of anything like that. And then Trish's mother then said, well, your grandfather was a grand worshipful leader, uh, whatever it's called, in London, in the, in, the, in the Scottish Rite of the Masons. And uh, she said, I never knew that, so I never thought to tell you. And so we went out. It's really interesting. We went out, and we got every, uh, every uh, uh, liturgy that the Masons had from the Scottish Rite, everything her grandfather would have said. Uh, and we went through it. We spent a whole day going through them and reversing the curses. You couldn't imagine how many curses were in those liturgies that cursed the breasts of the daughters and granddaughters and great-granddaughters of the individuals saying, re repeating those liturgies. Trisha survived. She did have surgery. She survived. Um, she's 15, 20 years, absolutely free of cancer. But see, I mean, he walked in the room just as I got the diagnosis. And Jesus said, you know, take up your cross, but follow me. I will join you in this thing called uh, self-denial, okay? So we were never uh, created to carry our crosses alone. Now watch this. Luke tells us that Mary, who was just a teenage bride, dedicating her baby in the temple eight days after his birth, uh, met the Simeon, who was the prophet-priest, 
And Simeon prophesied a number of things, but he prophesied to Mary, behold, which means check this out or take hold of this. This child is set for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which is spoken against. But then he says this, yes, and a sword shall pierce through your soul. Well, there's that word psyche again. There's that word, a soul shall pierce through your identity, your sense of who you are, Mary. A soul will pierce through uh, uh, your perception of yourself. Now, John is the disciple who is closest to Mary. John is the only disciple with Mary at the crucifixion. Uh, this is partly because he was not much older than Mary when Mary was prophesied over by Simeon. He was a, he was a teenager, and he was not much older than Mary when Mary bore Jesus. So this is a multi-generational moment going on here, and if there ever was one. And, and here is Mary's claim upon the crucifixion, if you can put that up. Jesus' crucifixion is Mary's cross. Huh? Jesus' crucifixion is Mary's cross. What this means is that Mary as well was not left to bear her cross alone as she's watching her son on his cross. And this brings me to my second scripture, which is really the text that was defined for me for this morning. John's account of the crucifixion is very different than Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, in John's gospel, the physical drama of the crucifixion is like really minimized because John's bare bones, bare knuckled and up and uh, close. There's in, in John's gospel, there's no emphasis on the mocking of Jesus. Uh, there's no description of the sun darkening. Uh, he doesn't focus on the earthquake, no open tombs, no torn veil, no saints walking through Jerusalem, no Roman centurion confessing Jesus' sonship. I love all those things, but that's not what John is about. Uh, John, uh, Jesus' beloved disciple, was here to see deeper fish fried. He's to see, he's to see Jesus crucified personally, personally. And John, uh, uh, for John, what's at the forefront is Jesus' passion to bring the power of his cross to those who are struggling in life through their crosses. And I'm speaking here of Mary, his mother, and then John himself. So we'll begin reading in uh, verse 16. So he, that's Pilate, then handed him, that's Jesus, over to them, that's the soldiers, to be crucified. Verse 17. And they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own. I love, you know, his, everybody gets the cross. His own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha, Calvaria in Latin, verse 18, and they crucified, that's Calvary, verse 18, and they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between, verse 19. Pilate, this is interesting, because this intersects with what happened with John and Mary. Pilate also wrote, and the word there is carved, it's not wrote, he carved an inscription and put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus the Nazarene. Some of your Bibles say Jesus of Nazareth. The king of the Jews. But this is what's important, verse 20. Therefore many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew-Aramaic, Latin, 
and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but rather uh, I am king of the Jews, or I claim to be king of the Jews. And I love this. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Uh, in Greek, it's gegrapsa, gegrapsa. It's just two words repeated. It's, it's really, really stark. Verse, verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus, and this is what we're going to focus on, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26, and when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, he said to his mother woman, he said to his mother woman, behold your son. He addresses her gender. Woman, not mother. And yet he addresses John as a son, not as a gender. We'll get to this. It's, it's as if he wants uh, to prototype Mary, not so much as mother, but as a believer who is carrying her own cross that he is going to join and provide respite for. Uh, verse 27. Then he said to his, the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into, and the scriptures say, or some of the Bibles say, his own household. But household is usually in italics because it's not in the text. That's an interpretation. Literally it says he took her as his own. So a mother who is losing a son becomes a woman who is now gaining a son. So here is where two crucifixions converge. This is the double cross. This is where the power of the double crosses take shape. Here is where the power of his love on his cross touches her love as she carries her cross. Um, this is not how oh, I love. This is not merely Jesus cleaning up family business. I mean, I hate it when, you know, well, Jesus, even on his cross, was thinking of Mary, and he knew that she couldn't go back to be with her other children because they weren't believers, and he wanted to, to make sure that Mary was taken. This is deeper than that. This is bigger than that, right? The most important question we can ask of this part of this text is, hey, Jesus, why now? Uh, well, you know, Jesus, you could have approached John the night before. You could have approached him at the Last Supper. You're already telling them what's going to happen. You could have said, hey, John, would you make sure my mother Mary's taken care of because my family isn't so much in on this. No, this is much more important. Jesus made seven statements from the cross. And this statement to Mary, uh, every, one of the, every one of the statements that Jesus made from the cross, I mean, we've all preached the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. It's classic stuff. But every one of the other six statements needed to be said from the cross. And I'm here to say this statement needed to be said from the cross. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. So in the midst of her losing a son, in the midst of her aloneness, in, in, in the midst of what could be called a sinkhole of emptiness, in the midst of all that, Jesus reaches from his cross 
under her cross, and she gains a son for the remainder of her life. And if we study the, the traditions, of course, Mary ends up in Ephesus with John until the end of both of their lives. So God's will and her destiny are sealed right there in the midst of her cross as he's on his cross. When I was uh, about mm, 15 years old, my brother, <clears throat> my father was a surgeon. I had uh, four brothers. I really had five brothers. One died young um, when I was just a toddler. And in those days, um, we, have, we have therapies now that kept these kids alive. But in those days, there was nothing for leukemia. My brother had come down with leukemia. And uh, they didn't have, there's no such thing as um, um, uh, radiation therapy and chemical therapy, all that stuff. They just gave you blood transfusions. He was 15. I, he was 14. I was 15. I turned 16 when he died. But he, when he died, and it's interesting because uh, he, he, we were Catholics at the time. He was, his, his object was to become a priest. So there was something of, of, of Christ working in his life, something the Holy Spirit was cooking up in him when he died. But I remember distinctly, it's something, I, this is something I think I bring to the table very especially this morning. Uh, I remember my mom nursing him into, when, when, in, into his death. And by the way, even as Catholics, you know, we believe in healing. We prayed for healing. Um, I mean, she fasted and prayed and so forth, so forth. But there's something about a mother losing a child that's indelible in my soul. And I remember her holding him. And I just remember her talking to him uh, as he was dying. And I don't know, I can't remember what, what he said, but all I can hear could hear when I, when I looked at her talking to him was, this is my body. This is my blood. That's all I could hear. Years later, just a number of years ago, one of, one of the girls who grew up in our church became a young mother, lost a two-year-old little girl to crib death. And, um, and it was three days before Christmas. And I thought, how on earth do you get through something like this? And, of course, I've got to go in the congregation. You know, we've, it's like here, you know, one of these kids, you know, those kinds of things. You say, what on earth? And, and uh, oh, man. And so, anyway, we, we worked through that. We did the, the, um, the it was interesting. My, my Christmas, the Sunday Christmas message was on, uh, here's something you don't preach on at Christmas, the slaughter of the innocents. Right? It's part of the Christmas story. It's another side of Christmas. It's part of Christmas. You know? So, anyway, so uh, the little girl's name was Nora. And uh, her mother, Abby, was raised in our church. I knew her since she was a little girl. And so she said to me, you know, we, uh, we were, I went to the hospital uh, with, with he, she and her husband to pick up the baby, to take the baby over to the funeral home. And she said, you know, before, she said, I want to, I'm going to go in there. I want to wash her and I want to dress her. She said, um, and then when, when I'm finished, you know, I want to be alone with her. When I'm finished, will you and Josh come in, that's her husband, and will you pray for resurrection? I said, you bet. You bet I will. And so, of course, we'd already prayed that, but I wanted to lay hands on, on the child. So we did, and took, I anointed her and prayed for resurrection, and there will be a resurrection. I am absolutely convinced that I'll know this child, you know. 
But she picked up the baby and looked at the baby. And she didn't say a thing. But once again, all I heard was, this is my body. And this is my blood. Something about a mother who loses a child. And uh, within short order, Josh and, and, uh, and Abby uh, had another child. And I mean, they're doing fine and so forth. But there is something about Jesus joining you when you need him the very most. He's there. And he suffered far beyond, far more innocently, anything we could suffer. Does this make, this is good news. You know? So here's the next thing. Uh, Jesus upon his cross gifts John to Mary as she carries her cross. It was after my brother died. It was two days. I was 16 years old. It was two days later that I met my wife, Trish. And we were, we've been inseparable ever since. But here's the deal. My mother had always wanted a little girl. You know, she could, she, I mean, my father's Y chromosomes were too strong. You know, <laughs> and so... So my mother met my wife. She was, Trish was 15 at the time, and, and she became her daughter, and she was consoled. Jesus joined her in her crucifixion. You know, I always love that scripture where it says that, 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 that uh, Isaac was grieving the loss of Sarah, his mother. You know that? And it says, and Abraham sent his servant to find Rebekah, and Rebekah came home. And it says, when Rebecca got there, Isaac was, was consoled for the loss of his mother. It's just really, this Jesus is in this stuff of life. He joins us. It becomes not only something that we can come through, that we see the, the, the richness of character, the character of Jesus that, that's, that's engendered in us, consequent to us taking up our cross and following him. All right? Um, the bare-knuckle message here is that no one who takes up their cross and follow Jesus will carry their crosses alone. Mary Cleopas, Mary Magdalene, and John were with Mary, but uh, above all, Jesus was with Mary. You, I mean, did you ever think about that? Jesus was with Mary. Mary wasn't just with Jesus. Jesus was with Mary. And Jesus as well, as those who are given to to, to him, the family of God will be with us as we take up our crosses, as crosses happen. Look, I believe in healing. I have seen healings like, I mean, I, I could spend a whole morning here talking about healings and deliverances and all that God is good. But, I, you know, I, we just need to understand this because it really is the meat and potatoes and richness of the kingdom of God as we move forward. Okay, so that's not the end of the story on this Palm Sunday. Okay? Uh, I love, watch this, I love to ask questions of the text of the Gospel of John. I mean, because it's different than the synoptics than the other three Gospels. Uh, it's so different from the other three. And I always wonder if it's because of his association with Mary. John had insight. And like everybody says, there's no, there's no uh, nativity story in John. Oh, really? You know, John has, has, has an access to the nativity that nobody else has. And you read John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. 
You know, that's a nativity story. Yeah. So John has all this insight that nobody else has. And as a backstory to this high drama between Jesus, Mary, and John, John writes in the story of this carved superscription, right, uh, that was put upon the cross above Jesus' head, which was supposed to be his crime. His crime, this is where, where, where Pilate's sarcasm comes in, is that he's the king, yeah? And he's the king of the Jews, okay? And, uh, you know, I could spend a whole service talking about that. I don't want to. But what I want us to pay attention to is that this proclamation on the cross is written in three different languages, all right? Usually the charge was written in one language, uh, Latin, but Pilate wants to be sarcastic because he's angry that the San Sanhedrin is kind of manipulating, manipulated him into murdering the Christ. And so uh, unwittingly, you know, he does that, okay? And th the declarations here are, are telling they're telling the truest truth ever told. Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the king of the Jews on the cross. Now, here's where our, our responsibility comes in. The three languages are a declaration that the crucified Jesus addressed, addresses the crosses of everyone else. Huh? All right? Across ethnicities, languages, economic classes, walks of life, the crucified Jesus is for everybody. And what's more... The simplest definition of evangelism in the context of what I'm saying this morning is this. Okay? Evangelism is the process of bringing his cross to someone else's cross. Crosses aren't just for Christians. You're there. All right? So j just as John was given to Mary, we're given to others who are facing crosses right now alone. They're kids dying out there, there are financial cataclysms, people are losing their jobs, uh, all the stuff that life brings. It's all out in Highcombe. Yeah. It's in Lincoln. It's in Bethlehem, where I live. Okay. And Jesus is saying, go. Go. Go to them. They're yours. Huh? So my question is, which language do you speak? Latin? Latin's the language of government authority, the language of, of administration, of rule. Latin is the language of soldiering, the language of power. It's the language of competition, the language of sport. Which language do you speak? Which language do I speak? Yeah. Uh, I want to claim that there, are out, that there are people out there who only understand that language. And you can speak that language and you can bring your cross to their cross. Just like Jesus brought his cross to Mary's cross. Are, are you there? I'm not losing you here. This is, this is the application. All right? Secondly, Greek, the language of commerce, business, the trades, oh, the arts, creativity, philosophy, the language of the sciences, the language of learning, the language of universities, Greek. Do you speak that language? Because if there's, pe there's people out, everybody speaks one of these languages. There are people out there who are carrying crosses, right? And we can bring our cross to their cross. Yeah. And then the last is Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, the language of people, of community, of the humanities, the language of religion, the language 
of faith, the language of the scripture, the language of identity, relationship, the language of the church, Hebrew-Aramaic. It was a synagogue temple language. And you know what? There are people out there in churches and in all kinds of community aspects, relationships, who are who have crosses that they're taking up. The difference between their crosses and our crosses is they don't have Jesus. Their crosses could destroy them because Jesus joins us when we're willing to have him join us on, our, on the cross. I felt led to do it this way this morning. Um, for everybody here, there's somebody who speaks one of those languages. And what I thought I would do, can I invite the musicians to come up? Yeah, is that okay? Yeah. Are there musicians here? Yeah. Yeah, if you can just give me a little traveling music. <laughs> um, I'd like just to ask you to stand. Good. I think I'm on time, too. Um, I feel like this week, especially because of the way the calendars synchronize, this is unusual. This doesn't happen every year. Where, like, this is really the week that Jesus was really crucified. This is really the week that he did the Last Supper. This is really the week that he, he, he rose from the dead. So there's something on it. And Easter is a time where people... Even what even the most secular people understand something is going on in the religious world. I believe that I can pray a prayer that you can join me with and I can release everyone here into one of those arenas of life and that you can invite. Whether they come or not is not your problem. You can invite someone to your Easter service next week. God will give you the wisdom. God will give you the strength. See, see, because we, we can take his cross to their crosses. So what we need is wisdom to know who's stumbling around out there trying to carry a cross in their lives this morning. Boy, and they're there. I mean, as sure as life. Do you realize that the suicide levels right now are some of the highest in history? There are crosses out there. Man. They are there. And we can't do this apart from something supernatural taking place here. So if you would hold out your hands like, but like this, like baskets. I believe I'm anointed to release each of us, myself included, into an invitation to someone else to experience the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ this week. And once again, it, the, there's no such there's there's no such thing there's no such thing as unsuccessful evangelism. It's impossible because you're inviting people to Jesus, whether they accept or not. So, I'm thinking of family members, friends, community. God will uh, God will ordain God will ordain uh, uh, the divine appointment. We just need to be open right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for sending your son. 
We thank you for giving him the mother that you gave him. We thank you for her womanhood, for her maternity. Oh, God. We thank you, God, for, for, for John, for a teenage a teenager would stand at your crucifixion. Lord, as you gave your cross to your own mother and joined her and comforted her and became a model for us, I pray with my brothers and sisters here in Alive Highcomb, I pray with my brothers and sisters, every one of them, that you would release a circumstance, a name, a relationship, an appointment from on high that this week, this week, this particular week in the universe, that we would, each of us, invite someone to come to your cross, that their crosses would not only become manageable, but would become points of redemption. Whoa! points of redemption across this congregation, across this church. And we ask it together as brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Can I get an amen from everybody on that? Uh, very good. Thank you so much. I just uh, I love you. I love you guys. I love being here. Hallelujah. And uh, I hope I see you again soon. God bless you all. Thanks, Dan. What an incredible word, Jack. Just want to honor you in there. I think sometimes um, sometimes we have people pass through um, for such a time as this, and I genuinely believe that what you brought this morning was, um, was so timely for us as a church. I really do. And, you know, with marrying that with what Lucy brought earlier about how the generosity and to see Jesus ride into this part of the city, I think that was absolutely what we needed in this moment. So thank you. Um, let's give Jack one more round of applause. Amazing. Um, amazing. Cool. So it doesn't end here, does it? We've got another service this evening at Windmill Farm. be amazing to see you all there tonight, 6.30. Um, have a great afternoon. Eat some stuff, and then we'll see you later. Uh, stick around, have a chat with somebody, grab a coffee. Uh, it's been great to see you. Uh, thank you. And Lincoln next week, remember. Cheers.